What is going on, everyone? My name's Ethan, and uh, this is Digging Deeper. Uh, initially, the plan was to start this in January, uh, but we are actually building a home studio, and the the initial idea for Digging Deeper was for it to be a video series, and because of the construction mess, uh, I just kept kind of prolonging it, prolonging it, and then one night, God was just like, it's time. You got to do something. You can't just sit on this. And um, and so then it hit me to do it just in audio form, which is great because that's what I know. I know audio. I don't know video that well. Um, so, but here we are finally starting with our first episode. And so let me just kind of give you an idea of the idea behind um, Digging Deeper. Digging Deeper came from an initial blog that I started called Word to Life uh, that some of you may have seen. And it was just a desire to kind of bring God's word into our lives on a weekly basis in ways that we understand. And so after a handful of blog posts, um, it hit me to do more of a scriptural dive because I think a lot of people are not misinformed, but they, they don't understand scripture the way it could be understood or to its fullest capacity. And I, I love studying. I love doing deep dives. And so that's kind of where digging deeper the title came from. It's that that we're literally going to dig deeper into the text and all that it means. And so I hope you enjoy the ride as much as I do. And um, I'm always open to feedback. So feel free to leave a comment. The first book that I want to look at is Ephesians because it's probably my favorite um, Maybe my my favorite New Testament book, definitely my favorite of the um, epistles or letters from Paul, and it, it's got a lot of stuff in it, and it's it's a great general letter to the body of Christ. So that's where we're going to start. But before we actually dive into Ephesians, I wanted to set us up. So let me start with this. This is um, my method of, of looking at things uh, when I dive deep into to God's word. Uh, the first thing is translations. This is the hot, hot button topic for a lot of people. Uh, it becomes a, a big issue if someone says, oh, I read such and such translation, and then it's like, oh, you read that translation? No, you shouldn't read that translation. You should read this translation. Well, the truth of the matter is all the translations, all of them, uh, are unique in and of themselves, and none are actually the actual like like words that were written because they weren't written in English, right? So to understand kind of just a little bit about translations, you would have a very, very, very old manuscript, like the closest thing they could find to the original letter, for example. And someone would translate it to whatever language they were translating it to. Then someone else would come along, they would find that translation, they would translate it, and you go so on and so forth. 
to where what we have today in all of these translations, even uh, the King James, which is a very old translation, even even that is really at its root a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation and so on and so forth. So we have to put our trust and our faith in these translators and translations as much as we do our faith in Paul, for example, that what he writes in Ephesians is God's word. Um, so getting tangled up in what translation is really trivial in the long run. That being said, I do prefer certain translations over others when doing specific things, um, which I'll get into that slightly more a little bit later. The next thing that I want to talk about in my process of uh, digging deeper is taking a broader look at things before even getting to the text. So what that means is before I start a book of the Bible, I want to know who was it written by? Uh, what was the purpose? Why, why were they writing this? Uh, what's the history behind the writing? So uh, for letters, for, the, for letters to the church from Paul, I want to know kind of like the history of the people that he's writing to what's going on in their lives before they get this letter. Um, what's going on in, for example, Paul's life when he writes a letter to a specific church, like what, what's going on as he's writing it. And also what has been his experience with these people, just all of the, just really understanding the dynamic between author and original recipients, um, not recipients us, but the people it was intended for at the time of writing. And when you look at these things, it really opens your eyes to the meaning and the heart behind the writing, which then we can better apply to our own lives rather than finding a verse, going to Google, asking Google to give you some verse about fear because you're fearing something and then just reading a, a one-liner verse and saying, okay, there. When you understand why the people were fearing, then it really kind of kind of puts your fear into perspective, if that makes sense. That's kind of an example. So that, that's my process. So we're going to go through this process and see where it takes us. So let's start with the people Paul was writing to. Who were the Ephesians? So the, the history of Ephesus, they were known for their worship of other gods, uh, Greek gods. And actually, a lot of people would come from all over the world to Ephesus to worship there. And their primary goddess that Ephesus really dedicated themselves to uh, was Diana, and she was the goddess of fertility, and they built these massive temples for Diana, and it says that like the the way they paid for it was by their trades. Um, they made 
incredible jewelry, incredible clothing. And so they were positioned, their like actual physical location was right at a place of trade um, at, at the seaports. And so they made a lot of money that way. And they spent that money on massive temples. And actually, the temple to Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, so not like the seven wonders of the world today, like Niagara Falls. Uh, these are all things that have like been destroyed. But that's kind of the background, who they were. And you kind of see that later on when we're going to talk about the history of Paul in Ephesus. But they understood dedication to a God. They understood love for a God. So it wasn't like teaching people how to love. It was teaching people who they should love. So that's kind of the background on Ephesus itself. Now we're going to look at Paul and I want to look at how he got to know Ephesus. Uh, he, He goes to Ephesus twice The first time, very short trip, like super short trip. And the second trip was actually significantly longer, uh, almost three years. And we find that in Acts. So before we even get to Ephesians, we're actually going to read Acts. And the shorter trip, which was the first trip he made, is found in Acts chapter 18. And it's verse 19, where, where we first see Ephesus. So that's where we're going to start. Now, I mentioned earlier I was going to get back into translation talk about how I use translations. And so this is a, a good time before we start reading. Uh, firstly, so you can know what translation I'm reading. And also so I can explain a little bit about how I look at translations. So there are definitely translations I like to study a lot more because they are translated a lot more word for word. However, when I'm looking at the story behind something, if I want to know the story of something, uh, like we're about to look at the story of Paul in Ephesus, I love looking at the message translation because it is written like a storybook. So that being said, we're looking at Acts 18 verse 19, and I'm reading the message translation. They landed in Ephesus, where Priscilla and Aquila got off and stayed. Paul left the ship briefly to go to the meeting place and preach to the Jews. They wanted him to stay longer, but he said he couldn't. But after saying goodbye, he promised, I'll be back, God willing. And that's it. That's the end of the first trip. He goes... He is basically an evangelist in this city, and he talks about Jesus, spreads the good news, and they're so taken by it that they're they're begging him to stay. But God called him elsewhere, and as we see all throughout Paul's life, he was obedient and left. And you especially see that when he tells them that he'll be back, but he kind of goes back on it and says, if God will let me. So then he, he goes to all these other cities. Uh, it's not far from where we just stopped to the next time he gets to Ephesus. Now we jump to chapter 19, and this is going to be Paul's second trip to Ephesus. So he leaves Ephesus the first time, goes to many different cities, some he's been to, some he hasn't. And then it brings us to chapter 19. 
Now, it happened while Apollos was away in Corinth. Paul made his way down through the mountains, came to Ephesus, and happened on some disciples there. The first thing he said was, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your mind only, or did you also embrace him with your heart? Did he get inside you? We've never even heard of that. A Holy Spirit? God within us? How were you baptized then? asked Paul. In John's baptism. That explains it, said Paul. John preached a baptism of radical life change so that people would be ready to receive the one coming after him, who turned out to be Jesus. If you've been baptized in John's baptism, you're ready now for the real thing, for Jesus. I want to stop there real quick. Uh, this kind of shows us the mindset behind the Ephesians. And they weren't the only ones to do this. Some people claimed they were baptized by Paul, some by Peter, some by John. Uh, it was kind of an ongoing theme and in ignorance with new believers. Uh, but Paul quickly kind of corrects them and points them the right way. They clearly needed radical change in their heart because they were the Mecca for worshiping a goddess. Uh, but he kind of points them. He doesn't rebuke them. He just says, okay, well, now let's, let's do it right. Um, so we're going to resume verse 5. And they were. As soon as they heard of it, they were baptized in the name of the Master Jesus. Paul put his hands on their heads, and the Holy Spirit entered them. From that moment on, they were praising God in tongues and talking about God's actions. Altogether, there were about 12 people there that day. Paul then went straight to the meeting place. He had the run of the place for three months, doing his best to make the things of the kingdom of God real and convincing to them. But then resistance began to form as some of them began spreading evil rumors through the congregation about the Christian way of life. So Paul left, taking the disciples with him, and set up shop in the school of Tyrannus, holding class there daily. He did this for two years, giving everyone in the province of Asia, Jews as well as Greeks, ample opportunity to hear the message of the master. So we're going to pause right there. Uh, it happens all the time in life. Just... As things start cooking, things start going, the enemy attacks. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, but Paul didn't like run away from Ephesus. That's not what it means when it says he left. He stayed in Ephesus. The school of Tyrannus was in Ephesus. But he took the people who were not believing these rumors and took an opportunity to really build them up. So kind of he kind of restarted the church in and of itself and let the the people who wanted to believe the rumors and the true believers of what Paul had to say sift themselves out and those that believed Paul followed. And so let's resume with verse 11. God did powerful things through Paul, things quite out of the ordinary. The word got around and people started taking pieces of clothing, handkerchiefs and scarves and the like that had touched Paul's skin and then touching the sick with them. The touch did it. They were healed and whole. Going to pause. So rather quickly, uh, just by the power of God, people start hearing word about this group of people who were just like among them. They were just there, but 
now that they hear of all the signs and wonders, it's like, oh, wait, let's go check this out. And the, the power of God was so strong and the anointing was so strong on Paul that even his clothing would, um, would have the, anoint, the healing anointing on it uh, so that when people touched it, they were healed. I'm going to resume verse 13. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists who happened to be in town at the time tried their hand at what they assumed to be Paul's game. They pronounced the name of the master Jesus over victims of evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus preached by Paul. The seven sons of a certain Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were trying to do this on a man when the evil spirit talked back. I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Then the possessed man went berserk jumped the exorcists, beat them up, and tore off their clothes. Naked and bloody, they got away as best they could. It was soon news all over Ephesus, among both Jews and Greeks. The realization spread that God was in and behind this. Curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the Master Jesus. Many of those who thus believed came out of the closet and made a clean break with their secret sorceries, all kinds of witches and warlocks came out of the woodwork with their books of spells and incantations and made a huge bonfire of them. Someone estimated their worth at 50,000 silver coins. In such ways, it became evident that the word of the master was now sovereign and prevailed in Ephesus. So I'm going to stop here. Uh, this is a massive uh, milestone, I think, in Paul's ministry. Um the 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 amount of reverence for God, the fear of God, really hit Ephesus at this time, and it really set Ephesus ablaze for God. So I just wanted to to pause and point that out. Moving on, uh, verse twenty one. After all this had come to a head, Paul decided it was time to move on to Macedonia and Achaia provinces, and from there to Jerusalem. Then he said, I'm off to Rome. I've got to see Rome. Uh, small side note, something about Paul. He was very adamant about seeing Rome. He really wanted to see the Romans. It was one place that a church had started that he did not start the church. Uh, so just a fun fact about Paul and Rome. But I digress. Uh, moving on. He sent two of his assistants, Timothy and Erastus, on to Macedonia and then stayed for a while page turn, and wrapped things up in Asia. But before he got away, a huge ruckus occurred over what was now being referred to as the way. A certain silversmith, Demetrius, conducted a brisk trade in the manufacture of shrines to the goddess Artemis, employing a number of artisans in his business. Uh, quick note, Artemis is the Diana I was referring to previously. So this was the goddess of fertility that Ephesus was known uh, for their temple that they built. He rounded up his workers and others similarly employed and said, Men, you well know that we have a good thing going here, and you've seen how Paul has barged in and discredited what we're doing by telling people that there's no such thing as a god made with hands. A lot of people are going along with him, not only here in Ephesus, but all through Asia province. Not only is our little business in danger of falling apart, but the temple of our famous goddess, Artemis, will certainly end up a pile of rubble as her glorious reputation fades to nothing. And this is no mere local matter. 
The whole world worships our Artemis. That set them off in a frenzy. They ran into the street yelling, Great Artemis of the Ephesians! Great Artemis of the Ephesians! They put the whole city in an uproar, stampeding into the stadium, and grabbing two of Paul's associates on the way, the Macedonians Gaius and Aristarchus. Paul wanted to go in too, but the disciples wouldn't let him. Prominent religious leaders in the city who had become friendly to Paul concurred. By no means go near that mob. Some were yelling one thing, some another. Most of them had no idea what was going on or why they were there. As the Jews pushed Alexander to the front to try to gain control, different factions clamored to get him to their side. But he brushed them off and quieted the mob with an impressive sweep of his arms. But the moment he opened his mouth and they knew he was a Jew, they shouted him down, Great Artemis of the Ephesians, Great Artemis of the Ephesians, on and on and on for over two hours. Finally, the town clerk got the mob quieted down and said, Fellow citizens, is there anyone anywhere who doesn't know that our dear city Ephesus is protector of glorious Artemis and her sacred stone image that fell straight out of heaven? Since this is beyond contradiction, you had better get hold of yourselves. This is conduct unworthy of Artemis. These men you've dragged in here have done nothing to harm either our temple or our goddess. So if Demetrius and his guild of artisans have a complaint, they can take it to court and make all the accusations they want. If anything else is bothering you, bring it to the regularly scheduled town meeting and let it be settled there. There's no excuse for what's happened today. We're putting our city in serious danger. Rome, remember, does not look kindly on rioters. With that, he sent them home. So uh, then you go on to chapter 20, and Paul leaves... Ephesus in the hands of Priscilla and Aquila and goes on and does not return to Ephesus. So the purpose of reading all of that was just to kind of set up Paul's interaction with the Ephesians. So we have an understanding when we read Ephesians, just what that looks like um, from that perspective, from the perspective of what does Paul think of the Ephesians? What happened when he was with the Ephesians? Things like that. Uh, that being said, Ephesians is not a letter that contains particular issues that were pertinent to that group, uh, like the Corinthians. The Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, you see Paul address specific issues that happen uh, at the church in Corinth, and. With the Ephesians, you don't see that, but you can still see in Acts 19 uh, just what Paul encountered with the Ephesians. Now, the other side of Paul's history or his life that I want to look at is where was Paul or what was Paul doing when he actually wrote the letter? Because he didn't write the letter as as he was on the boat leaving. Um, this was a letter that came far after. Now, to get the best understanding of what Paul was going through at the time of his writing, uh, you really have to read several chapters of Acts. So rather than reading them all here, uh, I encourage you to go read those before we dive into Ephesians next week. So this is going to start in Acts 25 and go through Acts 28. But to give you kind of a brief synopsis, Paul was in Jerusalem and he gets arrested by the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
and goes through this whole trial uh, multiple times. He goes on trial multiple times, basically says the same thing every time. And it ends up taking him to Rome, which, as mentioned before, he so desperately wanted to go to Rome. But I would assume it was on different terms than this. Uh, This was the only trip he made to Rome. And he gets to Rome, and he's basically imprisoned. And so it's this imprisonment. There, there are actually, he gets transferred in Rome. So there, they consider it two imprisonments in Rome. But it was this first one that Paul writes the prison epistles, which the prison epistles are Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. And so... When Paul sent these letters out after he had finished writing them, he basically bundled them up and sent them out. And it was like, go and you know make these stops and drop each letter off at their designated spot. And I think it's really interesting because especially with Ephesians and Colossians, there are interesting parallels. And you can tell, in a sense, in a sense, you can tell that they were written almost side by side. Um, and that's just another aspect that I think is super cool. But um, to recap kind of everything that we went over today, uh, we looked at who wrote Ephesians. It was Paul. And I, I don't think I actually said that just outright. But Paul wrote Ephesians. We took a look at Paul's interaction with the Ephesians. We took a look at uh, who the Ephesians were, their their background with uh, the goddess of Artemis or Diana and how they interacted with Paul in his time there. Uh, we also went over kind of how the church was started. Paul went, he, as an evangelist, did not stay very long. He left, he came back um, after leaving Priscilla and Aquila there to build the church up. And he then stays for almost three years and builds the church himself. Now, when he leaves, he actually, he he was almost like a pastor to the Ephesians for those almost three years. And when he leaves, he does not just leave them, uh, just like he didn't just leave them the first time. He actually leaves Timothy, familiar name, and very familiar name, John the Beloved. And they both kind of co-pastor the church in Ephesus for roughly two years. So really interesting stuff. We really kind of have a grasp on Ephesus and the Ephesians themselves. So next week we will start with Ephesians chapter one. And I'm really looking forward to actually digging in to the text rather than how we did Acts today by just reading to get an understanding, like a surface understanding Um, we'll get to look at the Greek words for some things and really use what we went over today to understand the letter to the Ephesians. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next week.